0: response to the love that you've shown us. Um, thank you that we, uh, uh, Lord, we get to be in a relationship with you, and, and we're here to to learn more about that and what that looks like, and how, Lord, we can receive the life that you want to give to us here and now, and how we can work that out in our lives. Because you've got a whole world of people out there who, who maybe don't know you yet, or maybe are confused about who you are or what you want for their lives. And so, Lord, you want us to be part of helping make you known to those people. So this morning, I just pray as we connect, as we offer our praise, as we offer our worship, as we turn and and listen to a teaching from your word, God, that you would just open our hearts and our minds to, to what you want to share with us this morning. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this space. Thank you for all of the great people, Lord, who make up Orchard Hill Church. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. All right, good morning, everyone. It's a great morning. What a fun morning for me. Like three of my family members were on the stage singing, and that's a lot of fun. One of them's in the booth, so it's a good morning. We are going to get started with some words from Jesus. So uh, let's pay attention. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world... It is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and it bears. It sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. And then Jesus makes this switch from a grain of wheat to us. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. Jesus, by saying these words, is trying to get his followers ready for his death and resurrection. And that death and resurrection of Jesus is central to the kingdom of God. And he does it by pointing out the ordinary, everyday rhythm that a grain of wheat needs to experience. This death and resurrection of this grain of wheat. So let's think for a few moments, just to get on the same page, about a few other little deaths and resurrections that we're familiar with in our everyday life, because they're all over the place. And these little death and resurrections that we experience can help us understand the big death and resurrection of Jesus. So the first one I want you to think about is the rhythm of the seasons, Right? We're in the middle of the resurrection of life on planet Earth. Everything that died in the fall is just about to come back. Don't think about tomorrow. But pretty soon, everywhere we look, things are going to be green. We see the rhythm in our own lives. Think about when your kids go off to college and that old story of them living at home has to die so that a new story can be born, they can move into their adult life, which is so exciting. Or think about a time in your life or in the life of someone you know, someone who had a big dream, and that big dream had to die so that a new one could be born, often a better dream could be born. Or maybe you've had this experience of a little death and resurrection cycle during COVID. Maybe you thought that you could bake delicious homemade sourdough bread every day and you could eat the whole loaf, and it wouldn't affect your ability to get into your pants. (laughs) Well, that dream has to die. And I think that when you start paying attention to this rhythm of death and resurrection all around you, you're going to see it everywhere you look. It's everywhere. Our faith is based on this rhythm. God placed the death and resurrection of Jesus at the heart of the universe he created. It's the turning point of everything. Kurt Vanderweil was here last week and talked a little bit about that. So in our series, Eternal Today, we're exploring why Jesus' resurrection matters to us right now. How does it inform the way we live? How does it inform the way we see our life here and now? And that's really important because today is part of eternity. So, Jesus says, anyone who holds on to life just as it is, anyone who holds on to life just as it is, just like that seed that never gets planted, destroys that life. Jesus is saying, anyone who holds on to life just as it is, destroys that life. So, every spring, about this time of year, I buy seeds. And then, guess what? I never get them planted. I was gonna bring a whole batch of seeds to show you, but I couldn't find them. So that makes it even better. I make big plans, but these seeds never get to be anything more than a seed. And we don't wanna do that with our lives. We don't wanna hold on to our lives just as they are. And I think one of the ways that we tend to hold on to our life just as it is is by holding on to a faulty understanding of who God is and what God is doing in the world. So what do I mean by a faulty understanding of God? Well, I think Mark Twain said it really well right here. God created man in his own image and man, being a gentleman, returned the favor. We all create God in our own image. We end up with a man-made, image of God, it's part of our Adam and Eve DNA. For some reason, it's just part of being human. But it's why the world is broken. It's why we live in a broken world. The man-made image of God has to die. So I just wanna show you that this man-made image of God is all over the pages of the Bible, everywhere you look. There are multiple places where Jesus' disciples even mold God into their own image to meet their needs. And I just want to repeat, our man-made image of God needs to die. Our images of God that we make up need to die so that a new, more true understanding of God can be born and its place can be resurrected. So one of your assignments is when, now, when you read the Bible, look for these little death and resurrection cycles that are all over the place. Look for these man-made images of God. So I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. And the first one is in Matthew 20. And Matthew 20 tells a story of two brothers, James and John. You probably recognize them as fishermen, that Jesus said, hey, drop your nets and follow me. Uh, And so every time I think of these two brothers, I actually think of these two brothers. (laughs) So keep that in mind. We're going to pick up James and John several years later, after they've started following Jesus. And they're with Jesus, and they're on the way to Jerusalem, which means they're on the way to the cross and the resurrection. So these two guys and their mom have an encounter with Jesus, and their mom brings them to Jesus, kneels in front of Jesus, and then has this tiny little favor to ask Jesus. And we pick it up here. Their mom says to Jesus, on her knees in front of him, give your word that these two sons of mine will be awarded the highest places of honor in your kingdom. One at your right hand and one at your left hand. So, there they are. And Jesus responds, and this is my paraphrase, he says, oh guys, you don't even know what you're asking. And then he turns to James and John and says, can you drink from my cup? Can you drink from my cup? Remember, Jesus is headed for the cross. That's the cup that he's referring to. He's asking them, and I think with sorrow, in his voice, can you follow in my footsteps, James and John? Can you taste and bear the evil of the world on your shoulders like I'm about to do? And you know what they said in response to Jesus? They said, we can. And I believe that Jesus knows in this moment, because of what he says in a few minutes, Jesus knows in this moment that James and John and their mom do not understand. They don't know who God is, and they don't know what he is doing in the world. And who they think God is has to die. They had accidentally made God in their own image, and it's really easy to do. We do it all the time. So what man-made image of God did James and John create that needed to die? And we have it right here. The man-made image of God that needs to die is this idea that God's power is for my personal glory. So we think about James and John for a moment, and we think about what they hoped. For in Jesus. They hoped that by associating with and following Jesus, he would give them personal power and glory and honor, both now and for eternity. That's what their mom was asking for. James and John wanted to talk about seating charts with Jesus before he went to the cross. That's what happens when we operate out of our man-made image of God, Their man-made image of God was all wrapped up in their ego, wasn't it? They thought following Jesus would bring them fame and honor. So the question for us when we're reading the Bible and we come across one of these moments where we can see a man-made image of God, the question for us is what gets resurrected in its place when that man-made image dies? So let's see what we can learn from their story. So after this incident where mom's kneeling before Jesus asking for this favor, we find all the disciples fighting with each other because they've seen, they've, over, they've seen this and they know what's happening. They're all fighting about who's the greatest and who's the most important, and Jesus is watching them. And Jesus knows what's in their heart. He knows what's going on, so he calls them all together. And he says something like this. He says, don't be like the important people in the world who throw their weight around. Don't be like them. You can't be like that if you want to be at home in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus says this. He says, if you want to be great, be the one who serves. Give your power away for others' sake. So when our man-made image of God dies, what gets resurrected we get to rest in the truth that god does not seek to be served but to serve because this is the truth the resurrection of jesus christ brings with it an offer of new life this is new life when we exchange our man-made image of God for the true, resurrected God. God doesn't give men and women power for power's sake. God gives us power so that we can give it away. So remember, if we hold on to our man-made image of God, we will be like a seed that never gets planted. But if we let our man-made image of God go, we'll be free to rise with Jesus to enter into new eternal life available today and forever because Jesus Christ is resurrected. That's why the resurrection matters to us today. So that's just one example of a man-made image of God. There are more, we're gonna look at a couple more. So this doesn't stop. People making up God in their own image doesn't stop after Jesus is resurrected. The next example is in Acts chapter one. So this is after Jesus has died, he's been resurrected, and he's appeared to his friends and disciples over a period of 40 days. And he spoke about the kingdom of God to them. That's what Jesus has been doing after he's raised from the dead. So on one of these occasions during a meal, so he's the resurrected Jesus, he's having a meal with his friends, and he tells them, I want you to stay where you are. I want you to wait because you're about to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now remember, all of these people who are sharing a meal with the resurrected Jesus saw him nailed to a cross. They watched him die. They watched his body be placed in a tomb. There was no one in the room thought Jesus was coming back. They all thought he was dead and he was. And now they're having a meal with him. And he says, I want you guys to hold on because the Holy Spirit's coming in. This is how they respond. They say this, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? This is their question. This man-made image of God, this view of God has to die because this is the real question they're asking here. They're asking, Jesus, now that you are alive again, are you gonna make the Romans pay for what they've done to us? Are you going to get our land back? Are you our God? Are you on our side, on our team? That's the question they have for Jesus. And do you see the man-made image of God there that needs to die? It's simple, right? God belongs to me and my country. They thought God was a small, regional politician they could pin down on a map. They wanted to own God for themselves. They wanted God to enact revenge on their enemies, and they wanted God to serve them and their people. And we get that, don't we? We get that. We often think the same stuff. And it needs to die. Again, Jesus says, that is not how the kingdom of God works. That's not what I'm doing here. That's not what I did on the cross. What I have done is bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. God's plan for them and for us is so much bigger than our national identity, our devotion to our really wonderful country, or our political ideology. So how does the resurrected Jesus respond to these guys and their question? Watch how he responds. I love this about Jesus, by the way. If I had to boil it down to one thing that I admire about Jesus, not one thing, but one of the things is Jesus just stays on mission. He just stays focused. He knows what he's doing and he responds to them and he says, guys, you will receive power when you, the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the entire world, to the entire earth. I imagine Jesus saying this to his disciples with so much urgency, but also much patience. He was saying to them, no, no. I'm not going to restore the kingdom to Israel. That was never what this was about. It's so much bigger than that. So we wanna look for the resurrected true God in here. God is the savior of the world. And he wants to send you and he wants to send me out as his witnesses. Jesus says to them, I'm gonna send you out of Israel. I'm gonna send you out of Israel into the world in my name with the gospel of grace and peace on your lips. So why does the resurrection matter to us today? It's because we're just like these ancient Middle Eastern followers of Jesus. We have a man-made image of God, mostly designed to meet our needs and bring us security. And remember what Jesus reminded his friends before he went to the cross. If you hold on, if you hold on to your man-made image of God, if you hold on to your life just as it is, you will be like a seed that never gets planted. But if you let your man-made image of God go, you will be free to enter into the new eternal life available today and forever through the resurrected Jesus. That is good news so we've looked at two examples of the man-made images of god as our personal power broker our seating arrangement maker and the idea that god is small and belongs to me those ideas have to die we're going to look at one more example of a man-made image of god that needed to die um, and and what what needed to get resurrected in the place of that faulty image so this one is found in galatians chapter 5 so, this is anywhere from 15 to 30 or maybe more years after the resurrection. And the main characters in this story are the church in Galatia and the Apostle Paul. Okay? So, Paul, of course, had his own man made image of God that needed to die. His destructive image of God led him to become a hunter and persecutor of Christians. You can find that um, in the book of Acts. And then one day, Paul's man-made image of God dies this really dramatic death on the road to Damascus. Uh, What was resurrected in the place for Paul caused him to become a witness for the resurrected Jesus, a witness to the new life of love instead of persecution and arrest and murder. Love that flows out of the resurrection And he became the greatest evangelist and most hope-filled follower of Jesus the world has ever known. So let's look for the broken man-made image of God that Paul now says needs to die for the Galatians and then what is resurrected in its place. So a couple of things you need to know about the Galatians before we start. The Galatians were forgetting why the resurrected Jesus captured their hearts in the first place when they heard the good news for the first time. They were forgetting and they were reverting back to old rules and regulations that they knew and understood and they were using those rules and regulations to identify as Jesus followers rather than identifying in the resurrected Jesus. So this is what Paul says to them. He says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Remember the passage that we started with? If you hold on to your life, just as it is, you will destroy that life. This is Paul's way of saying that to the Galatians, and then he goes on. For through the Spirit, here's the Spirit again. Do you notice how that just keeps coming up over and over again? Through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself as love. Circumcision and uncircumcision. So if you weren't paying attention, you were thinking about how much snow we're gonna get tomorrow, you're paying attention now. Um, Those words can kind of throw us off and and we can miss the meaning. So it might help you track better if we replace those words with uh, rules and regulations. So if you can go back one slide. What if we read it like this, for through the spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither rules nor regulations have any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. So what's the man-made image that needs to die? Right, it's this idea that God values religious regulations and rule following. Circumcision was a religious performance. It was a religious rule. Think about this. It was invisible to the public. Think about that for a minute. It was for males only. Circumcision was a rule and a religious identity marker. It was how you knew you were a person of God. It had everything to do with a certain body part and nothing to do with the heart. And Paul says this kind of understanding about what God cares about needs to die. So what new understanding, what new understanding of God gets resurrected in its place? And I love this one so much. God values faith expressing itself in love. It's not rules and regulations, but the one thing that flows out of your heart, love. The mark of new life in the resurrected Jesus, Paul says, is visible. It's public. It's not gender specific. It's love. And it requires daily decisions, not just a one-time deal. Andy Stanley says, while love doesn't require surgery, it's painful. And we all know that, right? What does it look like to live a life of love? What does it look like to have a faith that expresses itself as love? Why does the resurrection matter to us? Because we get to spend our lives figuring out, what does it mean for my faith to express itself in love? Remember, if you hold on to your man-made image of God, you will be like the seed that never gets planted. But if you let your man-made image of God go, you will be free to rise with Jesus into the new eternal life available today and forever. So you can read the Bible and you can watch for yourself for these little death and resurrection rhythms You can watch for these man-made images of god but then we have to look at ourselves right and i have my own man-made images of god that need to die and i believed in a god who will always bring harmony and peace to my family and home and i want this god to block like any emotional clouds that might linger over my house, any dark emotional clouds that might linger over my house. And that belief about God is just not real life, right? There's going to be negative emotions in our family. And the outcome of this man-made view of God of mine is this. If there is a cloud, a dark cloud over my house of emotions, then it must be somebody's fault. So it must be my fault or more likely it must be someone else's fault. Whew, I've known this about myself for a while, but recently, my now grown-up kids, grown-up, we have six grown-up kids, occasionally will get a little sideways with each other. You know what I mean? They get into a little argument. They aren't getting along so great. And one of them might not come over for Friday family dinner. (gasps) With my man-made view of God, all of a sudden, I am like... (gasps) cloud alert, cloud alert, where is God? Where is the God who keeps the clouds away from my family and my house? Well, that God doesn't exist. The Carla man-made image of God has to die because normal families who love Jesus have disagreements. And the larger and older my family gets, we will inevitably have seasons where people are a little sideways with each other. I want this old God-only-brings-clear-skies idea to die because I want my family to be able to be themselves. I want to learn how to handle disagreements and arguments. I don't want my family to have to always put on a happy face when they come over for dinner. I want them to know they can come over for dinner any way they are. And I want them to know that they can skip a family dinner if they need to, if that's better for them. And, and I want them to have a mom that like, doesn't freak out when they're sideways with each other. I want them to have a mom that doesn't have to text them immediately when they don't come for dinner and say, are you okay? Because note for parents in the room, kids don't like it when we ask them if they're okay, especially over text message. It seems obvious, right? It seems like not a big deal, and maybe some of you are like, well, that doesn't really seem like a big deal. But it is, it is for my family, because God isn't in the business of erasing emotions. He isn't in the business of sending endless sunshine over us. And what true image of God needs to be resurrected for me? The resurrected God is love. And love is strong. It's strong enough to bear the realities of emotions and conflicts and family stress. And the true God is not afraid of feelings and emotions in my family. I mean, If you don't believe me, look at the families in the Bible that God used. They were a hot mess. God is the God of normal human feelings and God can handle and help me handle any conflict in my family no matter how large or small. And for our family's emotional health in future as we're going to expand, people get married and have kids, it's going to get wilder and wilder. And so I wonder, what has this brought to your mind? What are some man-made images of God maybe you have that you're holding on to that would be better off dead? So I've shared three examples from scripture, and one from my own life. What does this look like for you? If you can't think of any, I bet your family could help you. (laughs) But you need to be careful, right? You have to be ready to hear what they have to say. Probably a really trusted friend could help you, but again, caution tape. Only ask if you really want to know. And here's why all this matters. It's because if you hold on to your man-made image of God, you will be like a seed that never gets planted. But if you let your man-made image of God go, you will be free to rise with Jesus into the eternal new life he offers for us today and forever. That is the good news. So we're going to pray and we're going to sing together. Will you pray with me? God, it's hard for us to understand how you can be so powerful and so patient. It's hard for us to understand love. God, we ask that you would help us give ourselves to a life of faith and would you help remind us over and over and over again that that faith's job the job of our faith, God, is to express our faith in love. So God, we ask you for eyes to see and ears to hear uh, so that we can, we can live out that faith. We ask for your forgiveness, and we're so thankful that your forgiveness has already been given. All we have to do is receive it. God, we ask for your forgiveness for those times that we've imposed our man-made image of God on others God I ask that you would help anyone who's listening today tear down those man-made images of God that have actually kept them from you from knowing your redeeming restoring renewing forgiving love and we ask that those people would take a risk to give all they know of themselves to all they know of you so that they too might be able to step into this resurrection life, this new life, following a God who doesn't care about rules and regulations, but just is urging us on, empowering us through your spirit to live a life of love. We thank you that you are alive, you are present, you are powerful, and your love flows without out, and over us. And your only expectation of us, God, is that we let it flow out of us and onto others. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.
1: All right, we're going to sing a few more songs. I invite whoever's in the room to stand and sing with us.
0: did good. All right. So as you go, remember you've been invited into this new eternal life that Jesus was died and resurrected for. And your assignment in that life is to not hold on to it as it is, but let it be reborn and then figure out what it looks like for faith to express itself in love. So as you go this morning, I want you to take these two ideas with you. Look back at your life. Where can you see a death and resurrection rhythm? And then take turns listening and sharing with someone. And then pick a point in nature where we're gonna watch this drama of of death and resurrection just play out all around us. Pick it in a tree or a bush or your favorite flower that's gonna bloom in your garden. And as you go, know that the resurrected God goes with you and the Holy Spirit goes within you to give you power to love well in this world. Have a great day.